Well, it's great to be back uh, with you. Charlotte and I finally were able to be here when your pastor <coughs> wonderfully opened the Word of God last week and uh, told Chris that we would be gone a little bit. We're going to do something really weird next weekend. We're, we're going to go stare in the face of people that we haven't seen for 50 years, called that 50th College Reunion. It's going to be so weird because they're all going to look so old and then uh, a couple of days after we get back from that I'll I'll go overseas to do some work in Macedonia and Albania so you've been praying for me I want you to know I am grateful for you as well as uh, others that have been Uh, I shared last Wednesday my last day of uh, treatment uh, with probably two or three dozen people who were there in the facility, some of them workers, uh, therapists, fellow patients, uh, folks that were there with their family. They, they do a little victory bell thing. I guess that happens in a lot of cancer set- settings. And I said, you know, sometimes when I'm here, I, I feel like this is more like church than church. Uh, and it wasn't about the sp- the experience, it was a little more discomforting there than church, but uh, it, it was about just the people having the same common interest and needs and, and openness about what was going on in their life, and I think that's what God wants us to be as a church. And I, and I honestly, you know, when you walk up to us here, uh, somebody said to us this morning, just feel like you're part of our family. This, this church so much represents what I think God wants the church to be. And so keep at that. Encourage people when they come and visit. Uh, make sure that when the little ones sing the B-I-B-L-E or uh, Jesus Loves Me, I think your daughter was singing as the, be- as the service began, that the infants praised the Lord. And those of us who, whose voices start to crack and tremble, well, remember we're part of the family too. That and just one more word. Uh, when I go to Albania, often, I see Samaritan purse shoeboxes that have been given to the children there. And the uh, first time I saw it, there was a guy with a T-shirt on that said Samaritan. And he, was, he was part of the delivery system, an Albanian man. And I thought, yeah, this stuff really does get where they say it's going. So if you haven't participated, let me encourage you to do that. So... When I'm here, I, I, I decided along the way, I didn't ask Pastor Chris this, but I decided I'd just keep kind of working my way through Joshua with you. I, I'm not one of these kind of guys that's very creative and thinks up, well, let's come up with this really cool sermon or something. I just want to know what the next text is. And uh, if, if your pastor said preach on such and such, I'd been okay with that. But he allows me to do this. So I'm going to take you to Joshua 6. And I'm going to just read the first part of it. Uh, for you to, this morning because you will see how it all fits together in a few moments. But from Joshua chapter 6, it's that story you all know. It's the story of the fall of Jericho. So listen to the beginning of the text. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its kings, king and its mighty men of valor. And you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. 
Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a loud blast with the ram's horns, when you, have, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him, so Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And the story goes on, and that's what happened. You know the story. So, Josh, Josh, Wake up. Josh, it's time. It's time. It's time. Oh, it's time. All of the things that have passed before us, all of the, the, the battles and the issues and the, and the circumcision again, all, all of that, it's time. Well, we could look at that, I suppose, and think, it's time like, sure enough, it's 11.23 or something like that. It's time. Or we could think of it a different way. We could think about it as being time. Time for God to do something. An opportune time, a turning point. All of you mathematicians from... Oak Ridge here, it's the inflection point. Something incredible is about to happen. Dramatic change is to take place. We know about times like that, don't we? 115 years ago, a couple of bicycle guys brought this contraption out there under the windy shores of the Outer Bank, North Carolina, 12 seconds, 20 feet in the air, and now we call them airplanes. Flying machine. Change, a turning point. It was time. And the world has been different ever since. Or, or something more personal. A, a little boy sits on his sho shoulders of his father and they walk down the steps of the stadium down to the third or the fourth row right off the uh, dugout's uh, seats. And, and the little boy's got his baseball cap on and he's looking around, and there are thousands of people, and then these men run out on the field, and, and they play this game of baseball, and, and this little boy's life, it, it, it will never be the same. It's changed. It's time. For the record, Jesus offered time like that a lot. When I speak of time like that, I'm speaking of what Mike Brim, in one of his books on discipleship, says it's, it's a God-given opportunity to enter into a process of learning kingdom living. That's time. Time from God's perspective, when he gives us opportunities to, to enter into this process of learning what it means to be a part of the kingdom. And, and we have those experiences. Well, Jesus offered them all the time. 
You know, I'm sure Pastor Chris at some point in these decades has preached about the different kinds of time in the Bible. And, and, and this one is found in Matthew chapter 12, for instance, verse 1, where we read, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields of the Sabbath, on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain to eat. It, it, it doesn't mean an, in a chronological sense it's time. It means, it means it's something new, something of this kingdom, something disciples wouldn't have done before, or Jewish people wouldn't have done before. And things changed. Things changed. I don't know about you, but, but when I read it's time, I think, oh, it's time to get up. It's time to go. It's time to be. It's, it's a point on the chronological calendar. It's different. Teach, it's teaching time. It's teaching time. I'm in a couple of those times right now. I mean, they're seasons things that God is teaching me. But, but they started long ago. I, I remember when I was eight years old, there was that time, and I was sitting in a, in a meeting, and I was one of the younger people there, eight years old, and I didn't look to my father and say, Dad, is this all right? I'd meet, I just left my seat and walked down to this high school auditorium to meet people I didn't know because I wanted to meet the Savior. It was time. Or, and, and I didn't go to that meeting thinking it was time. I, I found it was time. Or, or when I was 20 years old, standing at the, at the casket of my grandfather, who was an evangelist and a preacher and a, a loving, godly man, and, and I didn't go there thinking this is going to be the time, but it was the time. And God began to work in my heart in a different way about what life was about and what I was supposed to do with my life time or or just a handful of years ago I met with a Jonathan and Jonathan's the only child in his his family he came late in life uh, one of those really oh yeah really you're going to have a uh-huh one of those kind of kids and he grew up handsome tall and uh, athletic and smart and he went to college and he met a girl and he said to me one day, I'm confused. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Because his folks had everything figured out for him, and he was, he was going to uh, learn business management like his parents. They were good business people. John, Jonathan now works with Campus Crusade. But maybe it wasn't that conversation, you see. But God was taking him through a time when things would be different. Well, that's the story that we have before us where an akairos is the word, point in history, a, a point in time, but a season of change. Central to this point is not that Joshua fit the Battle of Jericho. I mean, we sang some great songs today. You could have thrown this one in there too, I suppose. But uh, he did... He, he did it, but it wasn't all about Joshua because we see in verse 2 that it was the Lord who said, I have given Jericho into your hand. These Kairos points in time, these seasons, they're not about us. They're about 
what God is doing. It's not how great we are, how skilled we are. God delivers into our hands opportunities. The word you, you call your children, Nathan, Nathan. God Nathaned, God Nathaned Jericho into Joshua's hand. It was a turning point. It's ultimately a spiritual battle. As we know the story of Israel, everything changed. It was God that made it change. God moves, we respond, and that's what we're going to see in this passage of Scripture today. In fact, I just used three little numbers, 441, and that'll help us kind of remember. We're going to talk today about, about from this, this chapter that when is declared, believe it, work is willed, do it, weight is injected, accept it, win is defined, live it. Now we're going to go through that together from this passage of Scripture, and we're going to see that a change takes place. So four actions of God are that He, de- he, de- he declares the victory, He assigns the work, He calls us to wait, He, he, will, he, he wills this win, He defines it, and then our responses to it. So follow along a little bit with me. God declares he wins. And our response is what? We believe it. God declares he wins. And our response is we believe it. In other words, before anything really happens in our life, God knows and in fact has determined the outcome. And you can get to all your theological discussions and debates about all of those important biblical words, but I just want you to understand this is how this kingdom life is lived. The story, verse 1, Jericho is shut up tighter than an Eskimo uh, in, uh, before a blizzard. I mean, it is it is closed down. I mean, they are hunkering in. They see the people of Israel out there, and they they know they're in for, I mean, Florence has come, and they're, they're, they're about to get nailed. Uh, you know, I don't know, how big Oak Ridge is. It's a big city geographically. I know that. Jericho was not. This was probably the hardest thing for me to realize, and I still struggle with it, though I have been there, so I've seen it. Uh, we're talking about 10 acres. We're talking about 10 acres of, of a city that is surrounded. It's just six miles up from the Jordan River. They've come across six miles up, pretty flat, just gradual rise to get to Jericho and then it goes like this I mean it's like climbing half dome all right it is almost straight up and and if Israel is going to divide and conquer this land which they will do they have to take Jericho because if they don't get Jericho they'll never be able to go up and then go about the things that God intended to do. there are 34 different layers of this city we don't know one which one for sure was from 1400 BC but one of them was there and just let, let's remember this compared with living in tents this is one powerful place this is a formidable fortress God says Joshua I've given this into your hands Joshua says I believe it. I believe it. All the stories up to this point lead to this interaction with maybe a, a Christophany of chapter 5, the captain of the, the Lord, it host, it might be, but all we know is God says to Joshua in some way, I've got this. 
I have got it. I mean, it's like LeBron James saying to the coach, Coach, don't worry. I've got it. I've got it. What will be your response? What will be your response? See, you're about to take the offense. You're about to go up against Jericho or a difficulty in your life or something God has called you to do. God says, I've given this into your hand. And you say, okay. Okay, I, I believe. Is that really the way it happened? Well, go to the New Testament. You know the verse. Hebrews chapter 11. You remember? By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By what? By faith. What about an earthquake? What about some kind of wind? What about 40,000 stomping feet? Doesn't say. Doesn't say. The Bible does make this statement. It's prophetic. It's from Zechariah chapter 4. You've heard it before. It's not by might or power, but by what? My spirit. By my spirit, says the Lord. So any victory of God, remember this, any victory of God, that's the key, is given by God, we must trust Him. We must believe. Now stay with me. That's the first point, all right? Here's the second. The second is about work. We'll just spend a few minutes here as well. But God does will us to work. God, catch the sequence too, God does will us to work and we must do it. That's verse 3. Verse 3. You shall, says God, you shall, and he describes what they shall do. Now, it's noteworthy, I think, that this story is told three times. God tells it to Joshua. Joshua tells it to the people. And then Joshua tells us what happened. So we've got it down pretty well. But briefly, this is what they were to do and what they did. Uh, Seven horn-playing priests are there. Charlotte, where's my horn? I I set it down there, didn't I? Oh, yeah, I was going to actually play it. But, but, yeah, let me have it. I probably won't play it. but, But this is all it was. All of you, thank you. Hello. No, that's not what it is. That's a ram's horn, right? And I did it in the house this morning, and I, the kids across the street were all playing, and when I came out, they were going like this at me, you know, like, what was that noise? But there's seven guys, that's all, about 40,000 warriors, seven guys with this in their hand, and uh, they're, they're, they're lined up, and then in front of them, they put the guard in front of them, and behind them, all these marching, the rest of the army, oh, behind them, the ark, and then all the rest of these marching men, what I want you to remember this morning is what's not there. See any ladders in the story? I don't see any ladders. How about ramming poles? How, how about their version of Molotov cocktails? I don't see any of them. All they're to do is walk. Oh, I can do that, I suppose. I could walk. Walk around the city. Imagine those people peering out the walls. They're circling us. I mean, these are tight. They'd have to be 10 acres, 40,000. These are, I've, I've done the math on this. These are tight ranked. 
soldiers. They, they're, they're like, you know, like driving in on, the, on the expressway over here. It's like bumper-to-bumper stuff. And the word is you walk around that and then you go home. So I don't know. Does it take an hour to line them up? Maybe. How long does it take to move around 10 acres? Does it take a half an hour? Maybe. Then we go back to our tents. Maybe another hour. I don't know. A little bit of the morning has gone by. And that's it. All done. Oh, we'll come back and do it tomorrow. Oh, come back and do it on Tuesday and Wednesday and six days. Oh, and then I'll tell you what, on the seventh day, I don't know which day that was, but it might have been their Sabbath, it might have been. Seventh day, you come around seven times. Seven times. That's the work. That's, that's what God has called them to do. Let me, let me ask you, what is faith? A, a preacher years and years, I mean decades and decades ago, said faith does what God says and asks no questions. That's faith. Sometimes we want to ask questions. Sometimes we do ask questions. When we stop asking the questions, then it's faith. When we say, okay, yeah, this is it. So what is the work? Well, it's really simple. Work is just obedience. And the Bible will describe for us obedience in a number of different places. But, but I like to think of it this way. Obedience is just being set apart to God. Obedience is being holy as I am holy. As, Paul, as Peter wrote uh, to the dispersed church uh, in the first century of its existence, the scattered saints, be holy as I am holy. What does that mean? Well, whatever God has told you to do, then be doing that. Uh, husbands, love your wives, because God's already said do that. Uh, wives, respect your husbands. I know that... That, that's the weirdest, that's the craziest thing. No, the craziest thing is to walk around a city seven, 13 times and do nothing but walk. That's the craziest. Respecting your husband may be the second craziest thing God asks you to do, but not the craziest. Uh, pray for those in authority. Isn't that fun to do these days? It's just a blast. No, just do it. Be anxious for nothing. That, that's one of those things that I've been having fun working through. The last uh, seven, eight weeks, actually longer than that. As much as possible with you, be at peace. That's obedience. Worship the Lord your God. Don't just think about Him. Worship Him. Praise Him. Exalt His name. Obedience. Make disciples. Influence others for Christ. Tell the story. Give, tithe. I mean, you can go right through the Bible. It sounds like an awful lot of things to do, but it's not a lot of things to do. It's just sitting in the place where we say, I, I want to believe God and demonstrate it. I want to demonstrate it in any way He calls me to. That's the work. Okay, that's, that's number two. Now, number three, and this is where it gets really awkward. Here's the third word. The third word is to wait. In some way, I promise you this, even, even with the heart to take on spiritual battles in your life, you will need to wait. See, God inserts the weight into our lives. God gives the victory, God gives us the work, but God sometimes inserts this weight into our life. And what do we do? What's our response? Accept it. Whew. 
Well, there are three illustrations of that in this passage of Scripture. You, you, you know them already. The first was they were to wait to take the city. That's the walk around the place time and time again. That's the first one. The second one, though, is the one that's really interesting, I think, to me, and that is they were to wait in silence. That's verse 10. Verse 10 of the text tells us, But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout or make your voice heard. Whoa. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth. Is he making it clear enough for us? Until the day I tell you to shout, then you shall shout. Now that's waiting. Say to our kids, just be quiet for a little while. Impossible. You can do it. God takes us to places in our life where we just need to be quiet before Him. I mean, these are like the boys of summer in February. They want to get out on the field. I mean, these are guys that got testosterone flowing out their noses, dripping down their beards. They're, they are so pumped up to do this battle. I mean, they have had seven victories over there on the other side in the wilderness, little things compared with this. But they, they, have, they have learned their way. They've been toughened up. Now's the time. God says, wait. Oh, and then there's the third wait. Wait for your reward. You see that as well in the passage of Scripture. God says, wait. March around the city, go home. Do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. Seventh time, seven, seventh day, seven times. Seven, by the way, is used 14 times in this passage of Scripture. It's the mark, you know this, in the Bible of completeness. In other words, it reminds us. It, it means until it's done. So God says, wait. They're to wait. Temptation is not to, to wait. The temptation, because of the way in which we live our lives and the build, building of businesses and the way that we, we go about life is to grab every opportunity just when we think it's right. But do we stop and ask God, is this the time? Is this the place? Is this the way? Sometimes waiting is almost unbearable. It, it, it's not if. It's not if we focus on the God who leads us. That makes it work. That makes it work. I remember a few years ago we were having a prayer gathering in our community in California and, and a friend of mine came to lead this prayer experience. We, we met at a church larger than ours and then we were to walk to the beach and pray and not talk. You know, then we walked. Some probably prayed, but there was a lot of jabbering going on. I mean, people were just yakking and talking and making friends and all those kind of fun things, but the focus was to be on praying for our community. Hard to do. But Christ was pretty good at it. Like sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. 
And Moses, interestingly, Moses, 40 years prior to this, he said, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Exodus 14. Let's not forget the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. Habakkuk 2.20. So, there is the victory they waited for. There is the silence that they waited through. And then they were to wait to receive. And just verse 16, they were to shout on the seventh time on the seventh day. And verse 17, they were to take nothing for themselves. Everything was to be, remember this word from your Bible studies? Everything was to be devoted. Devoted. Interesting word, isn't it? It describes things that belong to the Lord. And the Bible tells us that everything belong in this story belongs to the Lord. The Hebrew word really means something that is irrevocably given to someone else, to the Lord in this case. And oftentimes those things that were given to the Lord were destroyed. They were destroyed. That was part of it. And we don't like that. We don't... We don't know that that's really the, the way it should be, we think. I mean, we ought to be able to have some of it, we think. So this is the first, this is their first battle. And this will be the first fruits. And God always gets the first. Do you believe that? I do. He gets not what we have left over of our time, he doesn't get what we have left over of our skills and talents and gifts. He doesn't get what's left over of our finances, our resources. He gets the first fruits, a sign of who we are in relationship with him. And so we wait. We wait to see what God will do. I mean, Nahum, remember? How many times? Seven times in that muddy old water. Excuse me, Elijah sends a servant out how many times? Seven times. Look to the sea, rain will come. Israel, I mean, or, the, or, or we ourselves, we, get, we go from Genesis, Genesis chapter 3 to Luke chapter 2. That's a long time to wait for the Messiah, the Redeemer to come. The church, the church, they were told to go to this upper room and to do what? Oh yeah, wait, wait, and the Spirit of God will come. And I really, I really have to talk to those that feel called to go to another country as missionaries. I say, you know, you're going to have to go learn a language. Don't go over there and think you're going to stay and not learn. You're going to learn. You know how hard that's going to be? Do you know how long that's going to take? It's hard. These guys, these gals, they're ready to go. But they have to learn the language. They wait. People used to say about David Livingston, what in the world did he do? I mean, he built a, he, he drew a map of Africa. Big deal. That's it. Should we talk about Africa today? Should we talk about what's happened in Africa? That was the turning point. That was that Kairos moment. People waited. And do you know there 
in Africa, most many countries have a larger, much larger percentage of believers than we have in our country today. So that's the weight. And then there's the win. We start with win, we end with win. Now God defines the win. He wants us to live it. He wants us to experience it. He wants us to know it with joy. We live in a world that says, I'd like something bigger and better and easier and make me more happy and sure and happiness is what life is about. And God defines it differently than we do, this win. Here's what it is from God's perspective. God gets everything. God not only gets the, the first fruit, but the story tells us that God gets everything. God gets everything. Secondly, the city is destroyed. It's destroyed. God gets everything. I remember, it's, it's been a number of years now, I suppose, Charlotte, since we, we saw the, the movie War Horse. Did you ever see that movie? War horse, and there are some horses that are pulling through these barbed wires, and it is a gruesome picture, actually. And Charlotte was telling one of her friends about about the the movie and what happened with these horses, and the gal said, she said, did they get hurt? Well, of course, we know they didn't really, because they can't do that with animals and movies and all that stuff. But what do you think really happened? Of course, they got hurt. Of course, they, many of them were destroyed. It was war. That's what happens in war. And here is this picture. God is, God's up to something. It's not pretty. Can you imagine? I mean, we, we, we make it so um, cosmetic when we describe the story of Jericho. It's not that way. And we don't like that. And some of us will say, I'm not going to believe in a God that would do that. And you've got some other issues to deal with if that's your response because you don't get Him at all, whether you believe Him or not. What we need to remember this is eventually all that is evil will end. It will be destroyed. I mean, we could paint that through the Scriptures very clearly. Genesis 3, crushing of the servant serpent genesis 15 the end of growing evil described there and other places take a long time redemption will come and that which is evil will end and will be destroyed but secondly we also know that god will do all that he needs to do to preserve his own god will always do what he needs to do to preserve his own god knew that if israel mingled with the people of jericho it wasn't going to be a pretty sight so verse 18, along comes this experience of destruction. Israel will be holy. We are to be holy. We, live, we tend to live with the people who have more than we do, and therefore we want more. We ought to be living with the people who love God, and we want God more. I mean, how many stories do we have to have? Stories about Whitney and Elvis and Alice Cooper and the list goes on and on of people who started their life in the church and ended up in destruction. Isn't it interesting here, the cream of the crop is what gets destroyed. It's the first fruit. The third lesson we learn is the greater is yet to come. The greater judgment is yet to come. That's Matthew 24 and Revelation chapter 20. That's to come. But so is the victory. 
so is the victory for the people of God. Those who said, I believe it. Those who say, because I believe it, I will work. Those who say they will work even though they have to wait. Those who accept what God gives to them. Oh, that's the hardest thing for us because we want it all to be perfect. I don't think I've told you this. I tell it all the time. I told it at the proton therapy place this past week when I gave my, I, you get to give a little, I told them it was going to be a 40 minute sermon, but they, they laughed and it wasn't. It was maybe three or four minutes. But of my friend who wrote me the note when he was suffering with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, and he was partway through the end, lasted for him about four years, a long time for some. And he said, he wrote me a note and he said, Joe, I've been healed. I said, what? Nobody's been healed from Lou Gehrig's disease that I know of. And I tried to find out. And he, we talked on the phone. He said, oh, no, he's either here or there. I've been healed. I've been healed. We, we, we want to define what the victory looks like. God has a perfect plan for us all in this. All I, all I know is there is this marvelous expression of God. And sometimes, I don't want you to end this morning by thinking about how God destroys. I want you to remember there's one little caveat, one little beautiful picture in this. You know what it is? It's the story of this woman named Rahab. Because there is always the place where we see the mercy of God, even as we sang this morning. There's always the place of God's mercy. I don't know why Rahab is the one. She wasn't because she earned it. There are others in our lives who are the Rahabs. They are the people who, who you see God working in such merciful way in their life. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's you. All I'm asking us to do today is to clarify our relationship with the Lord. That's all I'm doing. That's what, that's what this was all about for Israel. Would they clarify their relationship with God? Would they see what God had, was willing to do, what God intended to do? Would they believe God? Would they, would they follow him in every way in obedience? Would they wait up through the suffering and the long, what seems a long time for them? That's 40 years. Would they wait? Would they accept? How about churches? Your church. It could be our story too as a church. A young Christian leader from Costa Rica wrote not long ago, he said, I want to share with all of you a bold move God called me to take. It was to share the gospel with my best friend and show Christ to him. Today was that day I had the opportunity to do it and he decided to follow Jesus and to get closer to God. He waited, but he did it. I've, you know, the longer you live, the more stories you have. Sermons get longer, I know. But I have a friend who came to Christ in his 40s out of battling with gambling played golf six days a week in every match he was it was a gambling event he came to Christ another friend who in his 50s won his battle with womanizing in his 50s 
Another friend who one Easter trusted Christ. He was a man you could have wrung the alcohol out of him. Never had another drink. Another young man, I didn't know him for very long. He had AIDS. It was a tough one. But he came to Christ. His Kairos moment in his life was forever changed. I don't know where you are with the Lord. We assume a lot about one another. We only know what people reveal. But we all need those moments in our life. If you're going through one right now, Christ offers to you his mercy wherever you are. Will you? Will you believe him? Willing to do whatever he calls you to do, waiting upon him for as long as it takes, accepting his victories. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your word and life is sufficient for who and what we will need in life. Be our God, we declare, our faith in you. And Father, to each of us, speak by your spirit, we pray, according to your word, that Christ might be seen in us. To the glory of our Father, because of Christ, by your spirit, we pray. Amen.